So as some of you have noticed, Jesus starts off today's gospel with a real zinger. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple, he says. Holy cannoli lectionary people, way to come out of the gate swinging. From there we go into the next section, which feels proverbial. It makes me think of my aunties shaking their finger and telling me, save money because you don't know what's coming, or keep the kitchen clean because you don't know who will drop by. Jesus asks, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when you run out of money after laying down the foundation, people will ridicule you. When I was a kid in Anchorage, Alaska, there was an oil boom, and there were many houses that were put up very quickly. Anchorage is the fourth largest city by area in the United States. I know many of you will miss the next part of my sermon because you will Google that and then Google your hometown. <laughs> Go ahead, this is the world we live in now. For the rest of you, I thank you for staying with me and checking it out later. Anchorage is one of the largest cities, but much of it is bog or marsh and hard or impossible to build on. As many builders did, a development company in the 1980s drained a bog and built a bunch of townhouses and condos. They were nearly complete when we had a small earthquake and the entire complex dropped one floor into the ground, almost neatly. They went immediately from two floors to one, the tops of condos sticking out like mini ranch homes. Clearly, someone had saved money to spend a lot more. And of course, my family drove out there just to see and laugh. It is true, people will ridicule you if you don't plan adequately. This is the easy way to preach this gospel, to ignore the hate your family part. It is a sermon that will satisfy my aunties who are the very ones who might pop by and judge my messy kitchen. See, Shanna, Jesus says. But this is a parable in the midst of a chapter, in the midst of a book, in the midst of the Bible, which is the divinely inspired living document through which God speaks to us still today. So to pick, off, pick up where we left off last week, Canon Matthew added a few verses, including the beginning of the chapter, where Jesus heals a sick man and the Pharisees challenge him for working on the Sabbath. The man is sick on the Sabbath, so Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. It is not about law, but about compassion. Then Jesus talks about how we need to be humble and take the lowest seat so that the host of the party can move us to the better one. If we take the best one, the host may have to awkwardly move us to the lesser seat to make room for someone more important. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees who believed they were the greatest because they followed all the rules. As he does so many times, Jesus says, the law isn't everything. We should be living into God's call for us and not sh simply shooting for semantic accuracy. The next parable, which was left out of our lectionary, is the great feast, where a man invites all of his friends to a banquet. But when the time comes, they make excuses and stand him up. 
So the man sends his servants to gather anyone who will come to eat. And when they gather as many as they can find, there is still room for more. And then we land on verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Compassion, humbleness, love, abundance, and then this? Hate your mom and dad? Although, as an aside, this verse feels made for the teenage me. Hate your mother and father? If you say so, Jesus. Anyway, it's easy to cut up a book and take a line or phrase to focus on. We preachers do it all the time, often with good reason. But if you're going to read just one sentence of today's gospel, the one to go to is the last one. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is Jesus's point. Give up all the things that distract you from God, from loving your neighbor, from doing the right thing, from being the best person that you can be. Some years ago, The Lending Tree had this great commercial that really stuck with me. It starts with a man and his family, and he says, I've got a great family. Then it changes to him in this beautiful living room, and he said, he's smiling as he says, I have a four-bedroom house and a great community. Then he's driving with the window rolled down, and he says, like my car? It's new. And then he whispers to the camera, I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? He smilingly asks the camera. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> he has all the trappings of the best life. It is the life that capitalism pushes us toward. The prosperity gospel will give it a B, work harder for that A. But only a tiny bit under the surface, this fictitious perfection is revealed for what it is, a stressful, rigid life that chains us to giving everything we have to keeping it up. It's not everyone's life in so many ways, but the Lending Tree commercial is effective because there's some truth in it. The ideal that many of us are sold have us all reaching for the next thing, stretching to and sometimes beyond our limit. And here we see Jesus get to the uncomfortable point. This manacle to possessions, the car, the house, the property that we didn't plan correctly for, it distracts us from the gospel. It keeps us focused on possessions and relationships, the ones we have and the ones we could get, and not oneness with God. It muddies the waters. In a, another part of the Bible, we call these idols, the things we worship instead of God. Still others sin, that which we put between us and God. Idols or sins mix up our purpose so that something so obvious as healing someone who is ill is wrong. It puffs up our egos so that we feel confident taking the best seat. It gives us a distorted allegiance that makes it so that we can be okay with houses, cars, electronics, and clothes constructed under immoral working conditions. It tells us that better cars and houses will make us whole, 
instead of resting in the truth that God has already done that. The 14th chapter of Luke is a series of stories that Jesus gives as a tool for placing God in the right place in our lives. Healing someone with a chronic illness is only a sin if you are bound to the letter of the law. Anyone who's ever had long-term pain knows that it doesn't take Sundays off. Don't put, your best, don't put yourself at the best place, but at the worst. You may think you're the best, but let others tell you. And the truth is, it doesn't really matter. You and I are all the best to God. And don't worry, there's always more room at God's table, even when everyone who comes does. Everyone who wants to come does. So hold fast to what really matters, your love and relationship with God. These others, the law, titles, things, even your connection to relatives mean nothing if you aren't most focused on God. Jesus invokes hyperbole. He says to cut all our ties with everyone and everything and follow him. It will free you from the debt to your eyeballs, to the misplaced confidence that all the things means that you are the best person. These distractions from God, they add to the sins known and unknown that we will confess in a few minutes. When we are in debt to our eyeballs, it is hard to focus on anything but working and making money so that we can survive and get to the next thing. When we are consumed with pleasing people or standing on inherited wealth and station, we have little room left in our lives to spend with God. To drive home the point, this chapter concludes with this somewhat Dr. Seussian story about salt, how salt is good unless it has lost its saltiness and then it is worth nothing. Hold fast to God first and foremost. Keep your saltiness. Distraction, sins, and idols build a wedge between us and our Creator. This is what Jesus asks. Choose God. When we have a clear purpose to be in relationship with God, everything else will line up in correct fashion. Loving God will make us love each other for the right reason, make us live into the spirit of the law and not the letter. Loving God will make us salty. I don't think he means sweary, but a girl can hope. <laughs> Loving God will make us salty so that our presence enhances everyone and everything around us. Amen. <laughs>